be in John, the 11th chapter, uh, this morning. Now, I know that these scriptures are probably going to be really familiar with you, familiar to you, but that's okay. It doesn't matter. doesn't mean that we can't learn something. How, I read the Bible through every year, and every year I go through it, I, I find something new about it. Because so, the Bible, there's something about the Bible that it's, it's, it's alive, and when you have life and you read about life, then it kind of jumps into your spirit. So just because you've read this before doesn't mean you're not going to get anything out of it this morning. Because hopefully you will. And uh, we're going to be in John chapter the 11. Now, the Japanese introduced a tree here a year, a few years ago, called the bonsai tree. Now, I know that some of you have probably seen that tree uh, before. They're really small, little dinky things. And they're measured by inches, not feet. You know, we want these great big trees for shade, but, they, you know, some people like these little miniature things, and so they have these little bonsai trees. Now, these bonsai trees, in order to get them in the size that they're at, they have to, uh, they have to stun its growth. And so what they do is when they plant these bonsai trees, they plant them, and as soon as a little sapling sticks its little head up out of the ground, they pull it out, and they tie off the taproot and some of the feeder roots. And this dwarfs the, the growing of this plant because it can't set a taproot down or stretch out as far and its feeder roots can't go out and get the nutrients needed so it stunts its growth. And that's kind of, that's why we have them in this little miniature tree. It doesn't, if you let it go and, and didn't do that to it, it would grow a lot bigger. But they want these little miniature things for their little Japanese gardens or our little home gardens and that so they, they stun them purposely. Now, that's kind of what the devil wants to do to us, isn't it? He wants to stun our growth. He wants to take, take us and take our taproot that, that we have founded in faith, in praise, in worship, in service, in giving, and all these things, and he wants to tie it off and tie off all our feeder roots so we can't grow to the potential that God wants us to grow to. And in some cases, he's successful. There's a lot of Christians that aren't grown, and, you know, they've been a Christian for 20 years, but they're still a baby in Christ because they allowed the devil to grab a hold of their taproot and to tie it off, and so it can't sit out in all those shoots and be able to build a foundation underneath it for it to grow. But that isn't God's will for our life. That isn't what God wants us to do. He wants to limit, the devil wants to limit our spiritual growth because there's nothing worse than a, a Christian that's on fire for God. He didn't like that. So he wants to do everything he can to stunt our growth. Now, there's another tree that's called the sisal plant. Or it's not a tree, it's a plant. And it, this, tra- this plant is basically shows us what we are supposed to be like. Now, this sisal plant, and, and they get out of this, they get a, what they call a sisal twine, and it's, it's very strong to, for their purposes, and it's, it's got a lot of fiber through it. And they had, uh, it's grown in Yucatan, New Mexico, or not New Mexico, but in Mexico. And it grows in a very hard, stony ground. And in a very uh, area where the elements are really bad on this this plant. Well, some people, Americans went down there one day and they knew how valuable this plant was because of this twine. And so they thought, looked at it and they thought, man, I'm going to take this and I think I can get this to grow better in, in Florida and make more money on it because, you know, doesn't money spur everything that people do? So they thought, oh, man, we're going to do that. So they take this plant and they start a uh, uh, sisal 
uh, plantation, and they grow all these plants, and they invest it in there, and they watch these grow, and there's no elements for this plant to have to fight against, and it grows, and it grows humongous. And man, they're so excited, man, they're already counting their money, because whoa, man, they really did it this time, until harvest time come, when it come time to reap this, these leaves. And when they tried to reap these leaves, the leaves just crumbled into pulp, because they had no fiber in it. And they found out that it was this hard dirt that was in Mexico and these uh, bad environment that caused this plant to grow strong and made it hardy. And that that's, was the reason it was, it was that way. And that's kind of the same thing with us. Now, God doesn't like us to go th- live through adverse conditions like this plant, but he also knows that it's necessary for our growth. If, he wa- if we want to grow strong and tall and and strong Christians for God, then we have to have adversity in our life in order to, to build character in our lives. If we just live in the little, little uh, encampment with nothing but Christians and nobody ever says a bad thing and everybody just smiling around all day long, that'd make me sick anyway, wouldn't you? <laughs> oh, I don't think I'd like that anyway. But if we lived in that kind of environment, we wouldn't be strong. If you just sat on your, on your couch potato every day and just did this all day long with, a, with the uh, TV remote, you wouldn't be able to do anything. You would have no strength to do hardly anything. You couldn't even walk up, walk to the mailbox if that's all you did. Because you have to have some kind of adversity or things in your life or something to stretch your muscles, to stretch your endurance in order to survive this world. And as Christians, God needs adversity to make us strong Christians. How are we going to know we can trust God, or how do we know that God's ever going to come through in a situation if we never have any adversity in our life? And it's when the adversity comes in our life, we find out what we're made of. Are we dropped into pulp like the sisal plant? Or with that fiber in us, that fiber of faith, that fire, fiber, fiber that God has put within us, does that make us strong and help us endure all the adversities that God has is allowed to happen in our life. Because see, God allows them. He doesn't cause them, but he allows them. Now there's a difference. God, has, God is incapable of you know, causing a lot of bad things to happen to us, but he allows them. Because the devil would destroy you. He keeps a lot of things from happening in our lives that the devil would like to put in our lives, but God knows we're not ready for it, so he doesn't allow it. Even though we're going through something, we think, oh man, God, are you sure? I, I can't go through this. See, God knows what we can go through and what we can endure. And as long as we put our faith and our trust in him and adversity comes, if adversity's coming our way, then we know that God has confidence in us and he knows that we can survive it. And then when it comes time for harvest, he knows that we'll be strong. And that's what his will is. So this morning I want to talk about a story, well, not really the story itself, but we all know about the story of Lazarus and Jesus raising him from the dead. But I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about what happened before Lazarus was raised from the dead. You're a little more familiar with Lazarus. You're not now familiar with more as familiar with the part that before that. Now, Lazarus was Martha and Mary's brother, and they were very close to Jesus, and they supported Jesus' ministry a lot. And uh, Lazarus got sick, and Jesus didn't, didn't come, and uh, Lazarus died, and finally Jesus shows up. Four days, Lazarus had been in the grave. Now, that's... That's pretty depressing. <laughs> you know, he sent for somebody, and four days after the, the dead, they're dead, they show up. But anyway, that's the scenario. That's kind of a little bit of the background of what's going on. And in verse 17 is where we're going to uh, start reading from. So if you want to start there, John 11, starting in verse 17. 
Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was come into the world. Now, Martha's conversation with Jesus in these few verses was short, but it was life-changing for her. And we can glean a lot of information from this conversation. Now, here we see uh, Martha going from a complaining, limited faith to a fundamental faith to a declaring faith. That's what these verses are all about. And that's what I want to talk about. And uh, in her absolute faith ended in verse 27. It says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And that's the declaring faith that God wants in us that, he, he, that Martha eventually had. Now, her opening statement showed that she had limited faith. See, she believed that Jesus, if he had been there, he would have healed Lazarus and he wouldn't have died. So she had the, enough faith to know that Jesus could have healed him if he would have been there. But he wasn't there, so he died. <laughs> and basically, um, in verse 21, it says, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, see, Jesus didn't drop everything and come when Martha called. Which, you know, we think, man, why didn't he? Well, sometimes... Things happen that people just can't immediately get there. And, of course, Jesus knew what, was, what he was going to do, and so he purposely delayed his coming. So he'd make sure that, de- that Lazarus was dead. And if we read in the verses before that, it says that uh, his disciples uh, said, when Jesus said he was sleeping, and he says, no, he's not sleeping, he's dead. So Jesus knew he was dead. It wasn't like he came in surprise. Oh, no, he died while well, I didn't know it. So anyway, that was going on. So basically, Martha was blaming Jesus for her brother's death in those verses. If you had been here, if only you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Now, how many times do we blame Jesus for things in our own life? If you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Or if you had been here, that wouldn't have happened. We blame God for all kinds of things in our life. In reality, sometimes things that happen in our life is because of the choices that we made. We don't always make the best choices, but it seems like we always blame God for the results. We're good at blaming God. See, but Martha was honest about her feelings. That's one thing that we need to glean from these verses. Martha didn't try to hide her feelings. And when we come to God and when we've been, something happened to our life in adversity or something like that, we can be honest with God because he can see our hearts. No matter what comes out of our lips, if it doesn't match our heart, God knows it. So we might as well just give it, tell him what our heart is feeling and get it over with. Get it right out there in the open and deal with it. Because God can't deal with anything until we're honest with him. We have to be honest with him before we can be saved. We have to admit that we're a sinner. We can't come to God and, and with all our goodness and say, Oh, Lord, what a privilege it is for you to have me. I'm finally signing up because you're so lucky. <laughs> That's the way we think sometimes. But we have to admit that we're sinners, and we don't like that word. We like to say, well, I've made made some mistakes, yeah. But reality is we're sinners. That's the word that God uses, and we don't like that word attached to our lives, but that's the reality of it. And so we uh, need to be honest with him. Now, but see, she believed that Jesus could have healed him if he was there. 
In other words, she limited Jesus by his presence. His presence had to be there before he could be, before he could be healed. But see, she forgot about the centurion that got healed when he just spoke the words. See, she didn't call and ask Jesus to speak the words so Lazarus would be healed because Jesus could have healed him from long distance. He could have done that. It would have been no big deal for him. But see, she forgot about that. She thought he needed to be here. And she wanted him to come. She expected him to come because she called. And uh, when he didn't respond, then her brother died and she got very upset about it. Now we forget that uh, sometimes in our own life we forget that uh, Jesus is the one that does the healing. We see all these big, big name ministries and we think, well, if I just go to that ministry, if I can just go there and have them pray for me, then I'm going to be healed. Or if I just go there and they pray over me, my need's going to be met. See, because they think that God's presence or Jesus' presence is only in one particular spot. And so their faith is in more or less the ministry and not in Jesus. And that's what Mary's problem was. But see, the same Jesus that heals in the big ministries that, that we see every day on, on TV is the same Jesus that's here this morning. He's not limited by physical presence. And I'm glad he's not. I'm glad Jesus can heal from long distance because heaven's a long ways away from here. But his spirit is here with us this morning. He's in every one of us that know him. His presence is here. So if his presence is here, then hey, we can have our needs met. I don't have to go travel a thousand miles to have George Meyer pray for me or Benny Hinn or whoever else. I don't know who all the big names are out there. We can, get, we can actually get prayed for here and be healed. Man, is that amazing? Because it's the same Jesus that heals in both places. But the reason that the big ministries seem to have a better result sometimes, it isn't because it's a difference in, their, in Jesus, it's a difference in us. See, because the people that travel those thousand miles, they come expecting. Oh, if I can just get them to pray for me, I know God will heal me. So they're coming with an anticipation in their heart. They're coming with faith in their heart beforehand. And see, and if you come with an expectation, then God can meet your need. But I don't care what, if you come in anywhere you go, if you don't come with expect, ex, expectations, God isn't going to disappoint you. You'll get nothing. If you expect nothing, you'll get nothing. You'll get exactly what you expect. But if you expect to be healed, if you expect to have God meet your need, if you expect to sense God's presence when you come to church, you will. Because God honors that faith that we have. So that's the biggest issue, why people get healed in some ministries and others, they don't. It's not that the people love God any more than anybody else. That, that pastor that we went to his funeral here this last week, there was nobody loved Jesus more than that man did. I'm not kidding you. When he talked about Jesus, man, the light had just come out of his eyes. And he would just, you know, you could just, it just shone through him. You want to talk about let your love shine through. Man, you could just see the love of Jesus shining through this man. And yet, people didn't get, as heal, didn't get healed like that because they didn't expect to. They pray, say, pray for me. Okay, we pray for you. But they really don't expect to be healed. They don't expect to get anything from God. And if you don't expect anything, God won't disappoint you. Because faith moves God. And we've got to have that faith. Well, Mar Martha had a little bit of faith. She had limited faith. She knew that Jesus had the ability to do it if he was there. Well, Jesus is here this morning through the Holy Spirit. So his presence is here this morning. So that, I'm, I'm thankful for that. 
See, limited faith is just questions and complaints. If you had been here, if you had, if you had acted differently, you've done this or you've done that, or we, had not, we wouldn't have had these problems. And Christians, we're the worst. We tell God, if you had showed up on time, I wouldn't be in this mess. How many, have you ever said that? If you had done this, God, if you had just answered my prayer, I would have, wouldn't have got laid off. If you'd have just answered my prayer and give me that promotion, I'd have enough money to pay my bills. It's your fault, God. <laughs> Actually, it's our fault because we shouldn't have got so many bills. <laughs> and we blame God for everything that we can think of. Oh, we say, oh, we say, oh, I don't blame God for anything. Well, I'd like to hear your, hear your prayer requests sometimes and find, or your prayers that you have with God sometimes and we'd find out. Because I complain to God. You know, I get confused sometimes and wonder, what in the world are you doing, God? I don't understand this. See, we think that we have to understand everything. And that's the problem that we have. If we can't understand it, then how can we have the need met? I don't understand why I'm in this mess. So therefore, if I don't understand it, then it's God's fault. But if we're to sit down and be honest with the situations we're in, when we end up in them, if we just backtrack, we'll find out that the number one person that's responsible for the mess you're in is you know, you go look in the mirror, and that's them. That's the person responsible most of the time. <laughs> of course, you know, we make bad decisions. That's human. And God does intervene. See, just because we get ourselves in a mess doesn't mean that God can't get us out, because he does. He's gotten me out of a lot of messes in my life. But see, while we're in the mess, he wants us to learn a lesson while we're there, because he don't want us to do it again. That's why we punished our kids when they were growing up, so they wouldn't do it again, not because we like to punish them, we wanted them not to do it again. <clears throat> See, the, uh, uh, Martha approached the Lord with complaint, but she was kind of convicted afterwards that she, as soon as the words come out of, his, out of her mouth, and she added in verse 24, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. See, Martha did have faith that God had healed her brother if he had been there. See, Martha had more faith than a lot of Christians do today. See, because we know that Jesus is here. See, she didn't, you know, she was more locked into the physical. And now we as Christians in this generation of, the, of believers, we know that it's a spiritual presence that, that we have of God. And so, but she got confused on that. But she had a sliver of hope that even now, God maybe could do something, that Jesus could maybe do something. See, and then she believed that it was in her, it was in Jesus' words is what would make the difference. Because he said, if whatever you ask God, he will do. See, her faith was in Jesus' prayer. It wasn't in Jesus. Sometimes we come people and our faith is in someone's prayer. That's why we go to the big ministries. That's why we go to different people to pray for us. Because our faith is in their prayer and not in Jesus, the one who answers prayer. And that's where Martha was all confused. She was thinking, that, oh man, he had power with God. When Randy first got saved, I thought, man, he had power with God. I was giving him my prayer request. Because it seemed like everything he prayed for, God gave him. And I was starting to feel a little upset. Hey, God, I'm the firstborn child in this house. <laughs> you know? Come on, the firstborn's supposed to get some little more stuff here, aren't they? <laughs> so, but anyway, she forgot that it, wasn't Je that it was Jesus himself that actually answered the prayer. Her faith was in who asked. And Je Jesus uh, said to her, your brother will rise again. Another thing that we do, or that Jesus didn't do, was get uh, in her face. He didn't get in her face and said, who 
what in the world do you think you're doing talking to me like that? <laughs> That's what we tell people, isn't it? When they get when they they disappoint us, we get right in their face and tell, "Don't you know who I am?" Huh? Have you ever? You know, we have a high opinion of ourselves sometimes. I'm reminded of a story of a, of a governor who went to a, a fundraising uh, th- dinner barbecue for for re-election, and he was the one they was collecting the money for. And he went through, and he didn't get to eat all day long. And he goes up there, and he was starving to death, and, and he going through the line, and they were serving him. It was a church barbecue. And um, the one lady, she gave him one piece of chicken. And he looked at that piece of chicken, and he says, man, I'm really hungry. Can I possibly have two? And she says, no, one. And he says, but man, I'm starving. I'm starving, and I have anything to eat all day. I, I'm just, I can't, I just have two pieces of chicken. She says, no, one per customer. And, she, and he, she, he told her, he says, don't you know who I am? And she said, he says, I'm the governor of this state, and I'm running for a re-election, and then we're having this whole thing because I'm me, for me. And she says, do you know who I am? And he says, no. She says, I'm the one that hands out the chicken. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> And sometimes we face the person that hands out the chicken. <laughs> but see, we, we say, well, we don't do that. But yet we do. We think God is a glorified bellhop. We just ring our little prayer bell. Ding, 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 ding. God, here I am. This is what I want. And we start giving him our list. Like he's our little butler. Or he's our, he works for us. And we start giving him our list. And oh, oh I forgot. In Jesus' name. You know, like, that's it. I'm going to get everything because I tagged Jesus' name on it. <laughs> we kind of get in that same way again. But see, Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And he didn't get in her face. What he did was he started to encourage her faith. See, Martha had a little bit of faith. She had limited faith. So Jesus was encouraging her faith a little bit. He said, and so he tells her, you know, your brother will rise again. And Because uh, Jesus likes to draw faith out of us, doesn't he? And the only way he draws faith out of us sometimes is through adversity. I'm sorry to say that, but he does. That's the way he does it. In verse 24, Martha answered and said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last days. See, Martha reveals the extent of her faith. She knows, she believes in the resurrection. She knows that in the last days that her brother's going to be raised from the dead along with everybody else. She had a faith to believe that, a very strong faith to believe that, a foundational, fundamental faith. She believed that he would rise in the last days. And see, sometimes it's easier for us to believe for things that are way off into the future, isn't it? We believe that one day we're all going to be raised from the dead. We're going to stand before God and and all these things. And we know that Jesus is going to come and he's going to set up his kingdom for a thousand years. We believe all this stuff. We don't have to worry about it. See, but that's far into the future. It's easier to believe that for us. But man, when we want to try to bring it into our own day and our own time, that's when we have problem with our faith. That's when we kind of limit faith. And we have limited faith, then we limit what God can do in our lives. And that's what Mary was doing with Jesus. She limited what he could do. And so Jesus had to do something because he knew he, he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but he had to have some faith there. He had to have some belief there in order to do it. See, God doesn't, God moves through our faith. That's what moves God. You want to move the heart of God? Faith, trust him, believe in him. That moves him. Just respond. See, I know God's going to do everything in his power 
to see to it that his will is done in my life. I may mess up along the road, but God's going to use it for my good. And he may paddle my little behind sometimes or slap my little hands, but he's eventually going to do it because I'm a will, that's what I want in my life. I want his will to be done in my life. Isn't that what you want? And if it means slapping my hands, I want God to slap my hands, slap my mouth, whatever I need to do, because I want to do what he wants me to do. Because that's where the blessing is. That's where the rewards are. Not only in this life, but in the life to come. <clears throat> so they believed. See, she believed that Jesus, we believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sin. That's easy. You know, okay, everybody. A lot of people believe that. There's very few people in this world that don't know about Jesus or haven't heard about it. And they believe that Jesus died on the cross for, cross for the world's sin. But just believing that, and it's just basically head knowledge. See, and it isn't head knowledge, it's God wants. He wants heart knowledge. He wants us to move it from here into our hearts. And when we move it into our hearts, then our found, foundational faith turns into declaring faith. See, I can declare a lot of things because I know that he lives in my heart. And because of that, I can declare things and not just hope for things or look clear down the road. I can look into my own life and in my own environment. <clears throat> so Martha, basically, she had a head knowledge. She had known all of the fundamental things the Bible taught. Of course, she didn't have the Bible. She just went by what Jesus had said and, and believed what he said. See, that's, at least she believed what Jesus said. <laughs> we don't even believe what Jesus said. We have a whole bunch of stuff in this, in this book that we don't believe. If we could believe everything that he said, our lives would be so much different. He wants us to believe what he said. So she believed what he said. She just didn't understand the full meaning of it. And she didn't understand it like we do, because we have 20-20 vision when we're looking. 20-20 hindsight. Hindsight's always 20-20. We can really see well looking back at your past. But see, she was looking forward. Jesus hadn't died on the cross. The Holy Spirit hadn't been given yet. So she didn't understand a lot of things that was going on. So she used her limited faith and her fundamental faith to try and have this conversation with Jesus. But Jesus the whole time trying to get her to, to accept and get her to understand there's a different kind of faith. And in uh, verses 25 through and 26, it says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now, I am is an interesting phrase, and it's only used in reference to God to reveal himself. If you remember in the Old Testament, when Moses met, uh, met God at the burning bush, he, and he says, well, who am I going to tell you sent me? Who am I going to tell him who sent me? i got to know your name. And he says, just tell him that I am has sent you. You see, because I am says it all. I am everything. I am the beginning. I am the end. I am the, you know, the alpha, the omega. I am the bright and morning star, the lily of the valley. You name it, I am. See, I am is a present tense. So when he said it to Moses, he said, I am. And he said it to Martha, he said, I am. And he says it to us today, I am. It's still present tense. And it'll be present tense tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that because he exists eternally. And we need to look at it like that. Um, in, verse, in Colossians, the first chapter, verses 15 through 17, it says, Christ is the vi visible image, uh, is the, excuse me, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. And through him, God created everything in the heavenly realm and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities, and the, and the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. 
Wow. He created everything, and he's the one that holds it together. We forget that. We have a sun that rises, don't really rise, but we call it a sunrise because God, Jesus, is the one that keeps it in working that way. He's the one that keeps, keeps giving us oxygen to breathe. He's the one that holds it all together. And if he just took off his, his hand upon our universe for just a minute, millionth of a second, it'd be gone. Everything, the planets would just flow out of orbit and it'd be a total annihilation of everything. So he holds everything together. It's, he, it's Jesus that does that. He was the one that created it, and he's the one that, that keeps it together. And see, she didn't understand that part. See, she didn't understand that. She just understood what she could see with her eyes. And see, Jesus, is. there's a lot in this world, as we're finding out today, that's unseen. There's so much unseen stuff in this world today, it just amazes you. If you ever watch some of these, these shows that talk about these unseen things, the atom, splitting the atom, and all these things that are... Uh, just amazing and just blows our mind. But God created all of them. Amen. Amen. So Acts 17, 20, 28 says, For in him we live and move and have our being. See, he wants us to live in him and through him and for him. <coughs> and when we do that, he gives us life and he gives it more abundantly. That's what he died to give us life. Now, he didn't die on the cross to give us life for eternity. When we get to eternity, we have life. From the moment that we accept Christ as Savior, we have eternal life. Now, we may die in this world, but our spirit doesn't die. The, the person that is really us is inside this shell that we see. It's not us. I mean, this is just something we put on. And when we die, we take it off. And that's what they bury or that's what they cremate is, the, is this body, this frail body that, that we carry around with us, just like a coat. When you get tired of coat or wear a coat out, you, you throw it away or give it to the DI. <laughs> That's all this body is. But the who we are really are is inside this body. And that's who lives forever. See, you're going to live forever. You're going to have eternal life. The problem is where are you going to spend it? You can have eternal life in heaven or you can have eternal life in hell. Because there's only two choices. You either go on having the one or the other. There's no middle ground there. The Bible talk, talks more times about hell than it does heaven. Just look it up in your Bible one time. See what Jesus had to say about hell. And it isn't a place I want to go to. But we have eternal life. A real eternal life when we accept Christ as our Savior and we ask him to forgive us of our sins and invite him into our lives. And then we turn around. Because that's what repenting is. It isn't some, you may not even feel sorry for your sin. There's some things I wasn't sorry I did. <laughs> Every sin that I've done, there's some of my I enjoyed doing <laughs> And when I come to God, I said, you know, I'm a sinner. I acknowledge that. But I'm not going to do it anymore. So I turned around and I went a different direction. And that's what repent means. It doesn't mean feel bad for it. Because if you need to feel bad for it, then you're, you have a problem. Generally, though, as you walk closer to God, as you live your life for him and you start, you do things, then you will feel bad for him. You know, it just, you know, it disappoint, you know I get very disappointed when I do something because I know it displeases God. Because it hurts God. Just like when your kids did something that you didn't like them to do. It hurts you, didn't it, really? I mean, if you're honest, you know, you don't want your kids to do something wrong. You want them to grow up right. Well, it does the same thing with God. So then we realize that and, and over. But when I first got saved, there was a lot of things I wasn't unhappy about doing. But I changed and I went a different direction. <clears throat> so, but her faith after this statement said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. She went 
She went on a journey through the little short verses that she had. She went from a questioning, blaming faith and blaming Jesus for what had happened to a foundational or fundamental faith and believing in the fundamental things that we believe in as Christians. Resurrection of the dead. And one day we're all going to rise from the dead. Everybody's going to rise from the dead one day. And then she went to a declaring faith because then she got it. She realized that it wasn't the faith that, that Jesus physically had to be there because he was God. See, before that, she thought it was just a man who, who had it prayed nice. And he wasn't that. And if that's all we see him as, then we're missing the power and the potential of what he did for us. Because he died for a cross, and if he was just an ordinary man, he would have sinned. There's not a man on this world that hasn't sinned. And I don't care how good you try to be, you'll sin. But he was without sin, and he couldn't sin, because God can't sin. And it had to be someone that was pure and perfect that had to die for our sin. And so he had to do that. So she was just seeing him as just a man that was a prophet. He was a rabbi. He was a teacher. Yeah, he was all those things. But she only see, saw him as someone that had nice prayers. I've, you know, I've, I've been around people that, that pray really nice. And you just sit there and you know, you'd love to listen to them pray because it just seems like they can just touch heaven. And you just love to hear them pray. Well, you know, we as Pentecostals, you know, we pray longer prayers than what Jesus did. Except for that intimate time with, that he had with, with God. But when he prayed for people, he didn't go into these long, drawn-out things. He said, rise and walk. Wow, that was a long prayer. <laughs> we spend five minutes before we even get to the arise and walk. Or we don't say arise and walk. We say, Lord, if it be your will. Oh, if it be your will. Well, you better find out what God's will is before you start praying for somebody. And if it isn't God's will for to, pray, to pray for them, then don't pray for them. I'd rather have that happen than say, oh, oh, and by the way, God, if it's your will, would you please heal them? No, he told us to say, arise and walk. That was his prayer. And it wasn't a prayer, it was a command. See, when we have Christ dwelling within us, we don't have to, have to go through all this rigmarole if we know it's God's will. When we know it's God's will, we have to offer ourselves to him and allow, you know, and get into his presence a little bit. But then we make the commandment like Jesus did. That's what he wants us to do. We need to change our prayers to start quit begging because we don't have to beg for anything he's already provided. I was talking to a lady yesterday about healing, and, and I eventually prayed for her. And uh, that, and I said, the problem that we have in America is we think that, like we did when our kids, when your kids came to you, and they said, Dad, can I borrow the car? So sure, you dig out the keys out of your pocket, and you go like this. And if they, you know, it would be kind of stupid for them to say, can I borrow the car? 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 And you're standing with there with the keys. But that isn't what happens in America. They say, Dad, can I borrow the car? Or Mom, can I borrow the car? And you take out the keys and you throw them to them. See, God doesn't throw things at us. <laughs> he doesn't throw healing. He doesn't throw meeting your needs. Say so you ask for them, so God takes it out and says, here, catch it. He doesn't say that. He holds it out here for you and he provides it for you. But you have the responsibility to come up and get it. If you don't, you're just going to sit there and ask and ask and ask and ask and ask. I wonder why God isn't answering your prayer. Well, he answered your prayer at Calvary. He answered your prayer when he took stripes upon his back. See, we need to get, realize what he did for us. And when we do, then we can join Martha in her declaration of faith and say, Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And then we can declare our faith. And when we have a declaring faith, that's when things happen. And that's when things changes. 
And until her faith changed, until she could got to that declaring faith, God couldn't do anything. Jesus couldn't do anything in her life. Lazarus would still be in the tomb. If she never got to declaring faith, he would still be there. But she, she came to declaring faith. And so therefore, Jesus wasn't limited on what he could do. We need to quit limiting what Jesus can do in our lives. We need to start finding out what his word says and start claiming the things he's promised for us. And if he's promised us, then we need to start holding them account. Read his word back to him and say, God, this is what your word says. Now, I expect this. Where is it? You promised healing. I want healing. You promised to meet my needs. I have a need. And we can do that. As long as you can find it in here, you can claim it. But remember, there's always an if before the promise. There's certain things we have to do. If you go out and live like the devil all week long, and then you come in church and say, give me this need, God says, hey, give me your sin. Confess your sins. Turn around. See, we don't want to do that. We, oh, but we like that healing. We like meeting those needs. We like doing all those things. But see, we have to do the if. If you confess your sins, he will forgive you from all, and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If we do this, if his child, if we're his child, then we can claim the promises. We need to do the if to claim the promises. And when we do, then we're not limiting Jesus. He can work in our hearts and he can work in our lives in a way that we want him to and the way that he wants to. See, because Jesus doesn't give us things that we need just to be a bad God to us. He doesn't put things in our hearts so we can watch us squirm and be disappointed because we can't have them. That'd be stupid, wouldn't it? Like the horse, you know, they get the horse to move because they hang the carrot on the stick to get him to move. That's what we think it is, you know. God just sticks it out here to get us to go somewhere. <laughs> God isn't like that. If God promises a carrot, he doesn't put it on a stick, he puts it in our hand. <laughs> well, actually, he puts it when they're reaching, we have to grab it. <laughs> That's God's will for your life. So if you're here this morning and you haven't got a need met, maybe you're limited him. You've got to quit limiting what he can do. And maybe because you have sin in your life, You've limited what he can do. Because the Bible says if you have sin in your life, he won't hear you. And if he won't hear you, he surely can't answer your prayer. So if he's not listening to you, you've got to get the line of communication open. And, of course, you've got to dial the phone. I don't care what kind of phone you got, cell phone, wall phone, wireless, whatever it is, don't matter. You still have to dial the phone if you want to talk to somebody. And we have to dial the phone. Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day, Lord, and I'm thankful, Lord, for, for your death on the cross.